welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. I thought we'd talk about joy. Yeah, it's a good topic, isn't it? And this is my just my little take on it, my sort of Irving-esque take on it. And uh, I want to start with the story of the prodigal son. I mean, I don't know how many times you've been taught. You must have been taught maybe twice a week on the... It's because it's kind of the Christian's biggest, favoritist story, isn't it? The story of the prodigal son or the prodigal father or whatever they, some people call it. And uh, there's this boy who's a bit of a lad. And he says, Pop, I wish you were dead. I mean, you've heard all this, haven't you? I'm sure you've been told on this. Pop, I wish you were dead because I'd rather like my inheritance now stuff you and stuff all the Jewish traditions. I don't give two hoots about those. And I don't care who I offend. Give me my money now and let me split and have a good time and to you. That was essentially what the prodigal son was saying, wasn't it? Uh, Give me my inheritance now. So the father, I'm sure with heavy heart, kind of, you know, he knew his son pretty well, I guess. And he kind of knew what was going to go on. So anyway, he did. He gave him his share, which was presumably substantial cost there. The story unfolds later on at the end. They got loads of servants and things like that and fields and things. So they must have been pretty well off. And they had cows hanging around to slaughter just like that, just to throw a party at the end. So he must have been a reasonably well-off guy. And the guy knew his father was a bit well-fleeced. So so anyway, the father gives him his money and he goes off and he spends it on prostitutes and drinking and wild living and runs out of money uh, as his father knew he would and then comes back because he thinks... I'm going to die here. Even the pigs are eating better food than I eat now because he had nothing left. And he makes a decision and he says, my father's servants live better than I do. And he thinks to himself, I said, well, what can I do? He says, I know, I'll go back and I'll offer to work for my father as a servant because at least I'll be better off than I am now. And... Uh, the first thing that occurs to me is how wonderfully holy that sounds, doesn't it? You know, I have done wrong, and therefore I deserve not much. And he actually wants to go and work. And he says, I want to be a servant. And uh, it sounds really wonderfully holy because, oh, I have known so, I've been in so many Christian circles where we encourage to be good servants, aren't we? That's what, that's what we kind of told to be, isn't it? You know, you know, you know, they'll say, you know, Christ came to serve and so we should serve and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, that's what we should do. Anyway, that's what the prodigal son did. Because I'm such a bad person. You know, I, you know, I deserve nothing. And now, because I've been so bad and I just want to serve you. And I'll, you know, pay me and I'll be like a servant. And you know what the father said? No way, Jose. You know, what? Is it, you know, the son comes back and he said, I want to be a servant. And the father said, 
but he's got his arms around his neck and they're crying on each other at this point. And, and the father says, there's no way you're coming back as a servant. No, get out of it. Yeah, I, I don't want servants. You're, you're, I want a son. You know? Now that's great. That's, I think that's kind of great news for me. Uh, the father says, I absolutely do not want servants. I want sons. And I think that's kind of an interesting perception. Anyway, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what happened next. And the father says, get a ring. Put the family ring on him. Says, he's my son. Okay. Put some shoes on him. Put the finest robes on him. This is my son. Not just my son. I'm honoring my son. He's an honored son. It's as if he did nothing wrong. And it says the father gave him back his inheritance and laid on a party. Laid on a party. So if this is the story of the Christian life, first of all, it knocks being a servant into touch, doesn't it? Because if you think about that party, who was there? At the party, father, the son, the son's friends, and presumably lots to drink, and lots to eat, and there would actually have been servants at that party because the father had party. This is where the analogy breaks down, of course, uh, because the story isn't about the servants. The story is, in fact, the father didn't want servants. But, you know, in the story, he's a rich guy. He's going to have servants anyway. So you, you, you can't, you know, you can't draw total parallels here. But anyway, party time. And who is making all the mess? Sons, friends. Who are the people who are rushing up, rushing around? Got to try and please the father. Don't make any mistakes. You've got to get this right. You've got to prepare the house really properly. You've got to clean up properly. If anybody makes a mess, rush around it. Who's the people doing all of that? They are the servants. And the father says, ah, 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 not you. And, you know, I, uh, you know, I don't know what the music was like, but I, get they, I guess they had a good time. Eating, drinking, having fun. You, you have fun at parties, don't you? You have fun. You know, put the best, uh, put the latest, you know, hits on, so on. Have a good time. Have a good, have a good roll around, get drunk, eat too much, make loads of mess. And the, now, I mean, what's Jesus doing here? I mean, and there we were all this time thinking we had to be good servants and do everything correctly and in order and so seriously. <laughs> And Jesus said, uh-uh, he's giving, this is, a, this is a, a story of what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be like. <laughs> Going and making a mess, not being a servant. And I think, yeah, this is the kind of Christianity I like. Yeah, come and trash a few things. Well, I'm not sure he kind of meant that. But he was saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like party time. You're okay. You're my sons and you are absolutely not servants. So he was, he was 
kind of talking about their identity there, wasn't he? I mean, he, I don't think Jesus was for a minute saying, I don't want my sons to not serve the world. I don't think he was saying that. But he was saying, what you are not is servants. What you are is sons. And what you do is party. You have fun. And your primary identity is to enjoy who you are. Enjoy what I give you. Enjoy being who you are. So that's a kind of great story. And in fact, it starts off a long time before that. And does anybody of you, Jonas probably knows because I probably mentioned it to you. you. You get advanced notice of most things I say. But what's God's first recorded emotion in the Bible? Do you know? Do you know where it is? Well, let me show you. Page one. Actually, it's page four in my Bible, but it's Genesis chapter one. Here we go. Are you ready? Verse three. And God said, let there be light. Yeah, very good Bible students. You know this. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. God enjoyed something. He looked at it, and he saw it was good. It doesn't actually say. It, you, I suppose you could read into that. God saw that it was good, and seeing that it was good made him feel really bad. I suppose you could logically get that from that. It doesn't mean it. It doesn't mean it. But. but it's kind of obvious what it means, isn't it? He looked at it, and he looked at it, and he saw it was good. He saw it with pleasure. So his first recorded emotion was pleasure at having made something good and saw that it was good. So there you go. Pleasure, the very first recorded emotion in the Bible. Joy. God enjoyed making something and looking at something. So there we are. Christians are the ultimate hedonists. God is the ultimate hedonist. Do you know what a hedonist is? Well, anyway. anyway. People that enjoy enjoyment. People, people that just have fun. And it's right there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Um, ah, here's another one. I'm just, 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 I'm just floating through the Bible. Um, why did Jesus die on the cross. Yeah, I know. It's like there's some school things in it. It sounds like a squirrel, but I know every answer is Jesus. Yeah, no, sorry. So why did Jesus die on the cross? So that we could go to heaven. So that we could be saved. So that we could be reconciled to God. Yeah, well, I'll tell you why Jesus went to the cross. In fact, you can look it up. Hebrews chapter 2. Has anybody got a Bible on them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, look at that. <gasps> I know why. <laughs> oh! oh, do you want to say it? Yeah, she got it without even looking at the Bible. Jesus endured the cross for, and then With. when you see a for in the Bible, you've got to see what it's there for. He endured the cross for the, say it again, joy. for yeah. the joy that was set before him. 
there was a purpose behind the cross, right? The cross was a doorway into something. The cross was absolutely not the place where we stop. And you know, you've heard that a lot. I'm, I'm sure you've come across that in Christian circles, haven't you? Just stop and spend your life at the foot of the cross. Well, I think, <laughs> excuse me, that's kind of blasphemy. Because Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He, he said he, he actually had to endure it for a purpose, for the joy that was set before him. The purpose of the cross is for joy. Okay, now you can have a, you can talk about, okay, what is it that gave Jesus joy? But nevertheless, the point is, it was joy that Jesus endured the cross for. And if you are in him and he is in you, he endured the cross for your joy. The purpose of the Christian life is joy. Can you imagine Jesus joining himself to us and going through all that just so we could be miserable, <laughs> bowing down and saying, Oh God, I am so unworthy, you should die for me. Oh, I, I bow at the foot of the cross. Oh. I mean, what kind of God is that? Who's going to do that? <laughs> That's insane. It's blasphemy. Jesus endured the cross so that he could take us through it with him to a place called joy. <laughs> so, Jesus, is, the, the God's first recorded emotion, it didn't take long, it just took three verses in the Bible in Genesis to get there, joy. And it says Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Yeah, 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 absolutely, spot on. We're, we're in his inheritance, and he was kind of thinking, Oh, yes, I get these guys, I'm gonna get these guys, I'm going, and, Oh, yes, I've got them. And that gave Jesus kind of the shrieks, it gave him goosebumps. <laughs> I don't know what it could, I suppose God could, he invented goosebumps, didn't he? So he's at least gonna have them inside of him. So, <laughs> so, I tell you, it's not, it's not really proper teaching this. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just sharing a few things that are just like, ah, blown me away through, through, the, through, the, through the years. And uh, so, we're wandering through life and uh, bad things happen though, don't they? That's just the reality. I mean, half of America at the moment is thinking like the world has just come to an end. Half of America is delighted, of course, but the other half is thinking the world's come to an end. And bad things kind of really happen. And we, we are surrounded by bad things that happen in the world, aren't we? Things that come and try and upset our peace, to come and disturb us. You know, the devil. Whatever anybody else might try and tell you is real. And the, there is, a, there is a, a, a bad angle to the spirit world out there, a dark side of the spirit world out there. And it's trying to disturb our peace and rock us. You're looking at me frowning, Jonas. Yeah, would you say that anything that disturbs our peace is made from the devil? 
No, 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 I didn't say that, but that's part of the devil's plan, isn't it? To destroy our peace. No, I'm not saying everything that disturbs our peace is from the devil, I'm not putting it that way. Um, but we're surrounded by enemies, there's no doubt about that. Enemies in the spirit world, some of quite a few enemies in the real world, sadly. And we kind of feel like the tax system is the enemy to us all, don't we? <laughs> Most of us do. Yeah, some, does it? Does it give you money back when it needs yes. it? Ah, oh, my gosh! Well done. She says it gives us back money. Some gives us money back sometimes when we need it. The tax system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Psalm 23. You know the psalm. You, pre you prepare a feast, a table, in the presence of my enemies. Oh, isn't that just great? In the middle of all this going on, there is a table in heaven for us, a feast, a party, a table, wine, food, stuff that's going to make us happy. Right, that, that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that kind of exists for us. Right, in the midst of all this, and so I kind of, I kind of find myself thinking really rather wistfully, you know. You know, there's loads and loads and loads and loads of people. Especially in America, it seems, at the moment. Who, this is all just like so crucial. And the fate of the world depends upon it. And, oh no, the sky is falling. And I'm not actually trying to say that these things aren't important. Politics kind of is important. But the truth is this, that the Bible says that he has prepared a table before us in the presence of his enemies. And uh, the problem is that, the problem is for many of us is that when we're, when, when we're actually in dark times, it's so easy to feel that your identity becomes a downtrodden one. We've all had that, haven't we? You know, things go wrong with our family, uh, our kids, our relationships, um, our work, and kind of life seems like it's against us. And it is so easy if we don't actually have this anchor in our souls to think, that's kind of who I am, a downtrodden person, a life-crushed person, a divorced person, a kids-don't-respect-me person, a trodden-down-at-work person, uh, you know, a loser. <laughs> and... Uh, Well, Jesus came to such a group of people who felt like that. Jesus was born in Nazareth and lived in Galilee. Now, you just think, why did God choose to come to that weird neck of the world, Galilee? Galilee was like the Toxteth 
the Mossad of Israel, what, what sort of equivalent area would you have in Germany where they put all the people who haven't got jobs and they just try and squeeze them away in a housing estate somewhere, trying to ignore, pretend that they're not there? Do you have places like that in Germany? <laughs> huh? We have places like that in England, don't we? Council overspill estates. Council overspill estates. We, well, we, we've, got a, we've got an estate close to us called, uh, uh, oh my gosh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Sail West in, uh, no, the Racecourse Estate. Yeah, the Racecourse Estate, Sail West. And uh, I was kind of brought up in such a, an estate like that, actually, really incredibly poor. And, uh, and, and, and countries have habits of doing that, sort of kind of ghettoing, ghetto people away into areas where they, uh, you know, all the poor people go, all the, all the unemployed people go, and, uh, and where violence is usually kind of common and poverty and so on. And, uh, and, and Galilee was exactly one of those places. Um, they had been uh, overseen by Herod and Herod's son, Herod's grandson, and they were trodden on. They were. They had Roman, uh, Roman rulers, and every single person in Galilee would have known somebody who had died, been brutalized by the Romans, brutalized by Herod. They were miserable people. And they were the lowest of the low. And later on, I think, in one of the Gospels, somebody's, when they're discussing Jesus, when the Pharisees and the scribes are discussing this Jesus, they say that, don't they? Can anything good come out of Galilee? That's what they used to say about these Galilean people. Can anything good? Can you imagine being a person who's brought, who lives in that sort of place? Can anything good come out of there? I mean, there? I mean, it's the cesspit. It's like the, you know, the sewage pit. I mean, it's disgusting. And that's what people thought of the people who lived in Galilee. People who were crushed, people who, every family will have been touched by death at the hand of the Romans, tortured, you know, all, all, kind of, all of that stuff. They were, they were a, a put down people. And this is the people that Jesus came to. Now, I've just started reading uh, Matthew's Gospel. And... Uh, I'm sure Phil will have been teaching you some of this stuff. If you read Matthew's Gospel, it... Matthew was a uh, Jewish writer. There's some question marks about exactly who wrote Matthew's Gospel. But there's no doubt that the, re the, the writer of Matthew's Gospel was a Jewish person, person writing to Jewish Christians, intending... And he clearly was a teacher because he had a very systematic way of doing things. He put everything in order and it's a, it's a great book. It's kind of the teaching gospel, if you like. And um, the people who put the canon together clearly put Matthew's gospel first because it was a, just a brilliant teaching gospel. And um, so you would expect a teacher going... Uh, putting Jesus' teachings all in order and saying, okay, this is what Jesus came to teach. What was the main thing he came to teach? 
And so at the end of chapter four, it, it talks about Jesus and he goes through his, uh, he goes through the wilderness experience and God commissions him and it says, and then he went about Galilee teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. So he preached the gospel and he did the signs and wonders. So that's the summary of what Jesus did. And then he gets down to the nitty gritty. Right, let's talk about the specifics of what Jesus did. And this is Matthew chapter five. And in Matthew chapter 5, we get this Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, right? And this is, this is just a, a collection of Jesus' teaching. Uh, but there's loads of phrases that come, there's a phrase that comes up all the time in here. It says, you have heard it was said to the men of old, blah, blah, you shall not kill, blah, blah. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, you heard this? You heard that pattern? You have heard it was said to the men of old, blah, 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 blah. And he gives, a, he gives one of the laws. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, well, think about this. Uh, like, who gave, who gave the law? God. God who is? The Trinity, which is? Jesus. Father and Holy Spirit. So, when Jesus says, you have heard it said to the men of old, who said? He said. Jesus said. So, he says, I said this in the law, blah, blah, blah. But he says, but now, I say to you, and he says something different. Or, or he appears to say something different. What's he doing? Is Jesus saying God's changing his mind? Well, it sounds like that. But in fact, what he's saying, he says, look, I gave you the law. You know, I gave, kind of gave the law to stone and iron age men, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, an older civilization to, as, as a caretaker to look after you. He says, but I've, but I've now, when God himself comes in the flesh and lives on the planet, he says, right now, what, what are you going to expect to come out of this man's lips. God himself, who gave us the laws, and then he suddenly comes on the planet, and he stands on the planet. We're all waiting, aren't we? What is he going to tell us? And what in fact he does say is, I've come to give you more explanation now. I've come to reveal more, right? I've come to bring new revelation to you. I'm God, God myself now. I've come here personally now. So you need to listen to what I'm saying. This is new revelation. I'm going to build on, add on, expand, explain, uh, clarify the stuff that's gone on before. And so you can feel Matthew building this up. You come to the chap chapter 5, right? And let me just read this. He says, seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain. So, okay. Dun, dun, dun. You know, tension's building. He sees the crowds. He goes up on a mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then, you want to hear what he's saying. And then there's this really weird verse. Is it says, and then he opened his mouth. And then, I mean, it's, it's just like, it's just like Matthew's coming. Wait for it. Wait for it. It's this, it's this phrase. He opened his mouth. I mean, why do you put that in there? 
How can you speak without opening your mouth? And he, and he, Matthew, he puts that in there. He says he sat them down and he opened his mouth and, and he, he's kind of, you know, he's really laid it on thick. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. This is going to be the very first recorded word of God himself come to planet earth. This is the revelation, right? He opened his mouth and he said, what did he say? Blessed. <laughs> I just want you to hear that word. Blessed. Blessed. Now, that blew me away. Because I'm thinking, the whole of the planet Earth is waiting for God himself. God says he appeared at the right time. Boom. This is the revelation. This is the revelation of all time. This is the most important revelation of all time for mankind. What is it? And the first word is blessed. That's it. That's the revelation. And I just wanted to put that into a picture because like I said, Jesus came to Galilee to people who regarded themselves as, yes, God's people, they knew that, but they had been trodden down for decades. Years and years and years of murder, torture, control, of being led to believe that they were nothing, They're, and they felt that their lot was hopeless. That's kind of where they felt inside. And listen to what Jesus says. He comes to those people who thought, this is what our identity is, the crushed ones. Listen to what he says. You are blessed. Uh, yeah, I just did a little study in it. And I thought, I've got to find out what this says in the Greek. So I started reading, uh, I started reading this verse in the Greek and uh, look up all the meaning of the Greek word. I'm assuming it would have been written in Aramaic initially, probably. But anyway, the, near, the, the, most, the oldest translation we can get back to is in the Greek. So at least looking at the Greek word, makarios, blessed. And you, it's a rich word. It's translated so many ways uh, in, uh, in Greek, in the New Testament. And just trust me, it means happy beyond measure. Absolutely ecstatic, happy, because your status is rich. Uh, you, are, you, are, you, are, you have been given everything that you could possibly want. It means all of that. It means rich, overflowing, happy, ecstatic. And Jesus came to the people who were murdered, crushed, put down, made to believe that they were nothing. And he says to them, blessed. And then, and this is in verse 3, blessed, it says in my translation, are you poor in spirit? You know this verse, don't you? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
But I want to just unpack that a little bit in the Greek for you. Right, blessed, makarioi. Right? So, and then, what's this poor in spirit? Have you heard sermons on this before? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, I, you know, I've heard so many sermons, and forgive me, anybody who's listening to the tape, if you've preached a sermon on this, please don't feel put down by me. But, I have heard so many sermons where it, people say, well, what Jesus meant was, blessed are those who understand and know that they are poor in spirit, who recognize their own poorness of spirit, right? Because they're in a position then to receive. Have you heard that? Well, was Jesus saying that? Well, let's have a look at the word for poor. And the word in the Greek is tochoi. You don't have to write it down. But anyway, the meaning is really not what you would expect. Right? The meaning is to cringe or to cower. So if I went like this, if I went, right, I just, I just meant, I made, I made it look as if I was just about to slap a very lovely girl sat at my side and she cringed like she cowered like ah! I'm just going to get hit and that is exactly what that word means it means to cringe or to cower like this it doesn't mean poor at all it just does not mean that Jesus was coming to people who were cringing and cowering all their lives they were cringing under the weight of Rome. They were cringing under the cruelty of Herod. And they were people who believed themselves to be the dross, the rubbish of the earth. The rubbish tip of Israel. That's who they believed themselves to be. They were crushed. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who are pachoi, crushed, or cowering, cringing in spirit. Not poor. Blessed are those people who are cringing in spirit. And then what does he say? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I just want to look at, actually, the word for theirs. Even the word theirs means something. In the Greek, it's the word auton. And I'm just going to give you a little grammar lesson. This auton is the third person plural reflexive pronoun. Are you impressed with that? Third person, plural, reflexive, pronoun. Pronoun, he, she, it, there's that group of words. Okay? Third person, he, she, sorry, sorry, I, I, you, he, she, or it. He, she, and it is the third person. Plural is, means theirs. Right? Third person, plural, is the word theirs. Reflexive, right, means they themselves. Uh, do you, I don't know if you have this in German, do you? They have, they have, that, they have this structure in French, reflexive pronouns, um, reflexive verbs. And it, it, it's, it's kind of emphatic. It's really, ooh, really making the point, right? So Jesus was saying, blessed are those who are crushed and cringing, frightened in spirit because they themselves, that's what he was saying. He wasn't just saying for they, 
are the inheritors of the kingdom of heaven. They themselves, they are the ones. So he's saying, okay, you're cringing, you're bowed down, you kind of feel your identity is a crushed one. Jesus is saying, that is not your identity. He says, you yourselves, if you change that around a little bit to first person. So he says, blessed are those cringing, afraid, crushed ones, because they themselves are the ones who inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is the word basilia, which, is some, which really is all to do with sovereignty, royal power. So, let's retranslate this verse. Jesus is coming to people who have been crushed and put down by an invading, controlling, occupying power, the Romans. And they installed Herod as their puppet to, to put down and to control the people of Galilee. And Jesus says, okay, that's who you think you are. He says, in fact, your destiny is you are utterly, utterly blessed because you yourselves are the ones who actually have all this sovereign power. You yourselves are the ones who have all this sovereign power, not the Romans, not Herod. Your, that's your identity. You are the ones who have the ruling power, the sovereignty, the royal power of the kingdom of heaven that belongs to you. That sounds a little bit different, doesn't it? From, blessed are those who recognize that they are poor in spirit. Jesus is saying exactly the opposite. He said there's no such thing to recognize because it's not true. You are not poor. <laughs> it's not something that you need to recognize is true because it's not true. That's what he's saying. That's not your identity. What you, you yourselves are royal and have royal power and are, are, are the inheritors of the kingdom of heaven. Now that's a little bit different, isn't it? And Jesus says, as a result of that, as a result of recognizing that in fact is what your identity is, that makes you blessed, right? You can actually be happy. You can actually rejoice because that is in fact who you are. At the moment, it looks like what you have is a pretty bum deal a pretty raw deal. You have a bad deal, right? You've been crushed. But in fact, that is not your identity. And Jesus goes all the way through. Read it. Matthew 5. Blessed. 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 Blessed are such and such, right? But in fact, and he's talking about identity all the time, all the way through these verses. Anyway, I like it. There's a, um, there's a book has anybody read it? By Demos Shakarian, called The Happiest People on Earth. It's a, it's a book about the Armenians, the story of the Armenians. He was, in fact, the founder of the full gospel Bible FGB Men's Fellowship International. Full gospel Businessmen's Fellowship International. And it's a worldwide thing, and he just gets businessmen from around the world coming together. Uh, but he was, he was a... Uh, he was an Armenian, and this people, uh, 
were absolutely crushed, beaten, slaughtered, mass murders, uh, and yet they started worldwide movements, missionary movements, and there were, they, they just knew the secret of being incredibly happy in spite of their circumstances because they knew who they were. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's great when you're poor because you'll get it, you'll get it in heaven in the end. <laughs> and that's what isn't that what a lot of people kind of read this thing as and Jesus is saying, No, 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 no. That is not who you are. That's not your identity. Uh, chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. You'll come across lots of stuff like this in chapter 5. So Jesus is here, he's screaming this revelation. You know, he, he, he's actually, it, 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 it's, a, it's a deep scream. No, 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 no. This is not who you are. Your identity is this, blessed. Because... You, yourselves, it's you I'm talking about, Jesus is saying. It's not somebody else, it's you. That's what this reflexive pronoun is all about. They themselves, you yourself, are the ones who are the inheritors of the sovereignty. You're the ones to whom this belongs, the royal power of the kingdom of heaven. Huh? Okay. But the whole point is that the word that's used to mean blessed and bliss is, is to do with richness, happiness, uh, more than you can contain, overflowing. That's why uh, Andy's been losing it a bit, isn't it? He's <laughs> kind of losing it on a regular basis at the moment now, which is kind of great. Never let anybody tell you that that's crazy, you know. Oh, no. I don't, it's absolutely fantastic. I was just saying to Andy, it's, 
Has anybody else ever felt like you're going to laugh so much you were absolutely convinced you were going to die? Oh, it's just the best, isn't it? I know, you know, oh no, I'm, I'm really hurting, I'm really hurting, you're like, can't breathe, I'm convinced I'm going to die. Oh, I just know that those are the best times in the, in the world. I mean, there's a, you know, it's because we're made for this, you know. We were, we're actually made for it. This is the way that God's created us to be, to enjoy this sort of stuff. And, oh, you know, you, you, again, you hear something, oh, I'm full of the joy of the Lord. You know, you know, yeah. I <laughs> say, But there's nothing wrong with getting it and there's nothing wrong with moving it. But the truth is, guys, of course, if your child dies, you're not going to feel like that. Either. You know. If, if Putin did invade Europe, we wouldn't feel like it, would we? I'm sorry, I shouldn't put stuff like that in the talk. But... Um, God also loves Putin. Absolutely. He loves him as well. Huh? And Donald Trump. Absolutely. Come on. But Jesus is saying our deepest sense of identity does not come from the things around our surroundings. Uh, there's a, have you read Psalm 2? This is an, oh, I'm telling you. Psalm 2 is, oh, it's brain blasting. Listen to this. Uh, right. Listen to this in the present state of affairs. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? You know, nations making plans. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel. They come together against the Lord and his anointed saying, let's birth, burst their bonds asunder. In other words, let's be ungodly. Let's just do what we want. And, and cast their cords from us. You know, let's, let's make the world an ungodly place. Let's create mayhem. And what does verse 4 next say? He who sits in the heavens laughs. <laughs> that's just, that's just everything. All the kings coming together and saying, let's just, you know, let's just have our own way and take it out on the world and take what we want and forget about the rule of God and all that sort of stuff. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. That's the response of our Father. That, that is in fact the response of our Father to the plans of this world to cast off his bonds from them. Isn't that just kind of great? Yeah. 
So Jesus, God's response is laughing. I mean, you could, you could say that's derisive laughter, but, uh, you know, his first recorded emotion was happiness, joy. I, I kind of get the feeling that when it says, he who sits in the heavens laughed, I think it's happiness laughing, actually. It's kind of happiness laughing. And uh, just coming back to this whole thing about Jesus, God himself, coming to the earth. We've, we've heard what his first words were, blessed. That's who you, in fact, are. He came to tell us what our, what our identity is. We are blessed ones, right? That's who, that's who we are. But what's the first thing that he did? What's the first miracle that he did? Can you remember? The, yeah, the first miracle that's recorded that Jesus did. Yeah. He went to a wedding. And at this wedding... The, 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 the guy who organized it hadn't bought enough wine. Now, I presume that being good Jews, they would have really been good at planning this. So it's a good guess that he will have bought enough wine. But the wine ran out. Why do you think wine runs out? <laughs> because he's been drunk. <laughs> what? Uh, yes, but I think I think it's generally accepted that the the first miracle he did was the actual because they don't uh, the different gospels don't necessarily run to the kind of kind of same same time scale. It's generally regarded that the first miracle that he did was the going to the wedding and turning the wine the water into wine. Now, just think about this. This is a wine where People have drunk so much wine, it's run out too early. So they've, they've, they've drunk more than people would normally drink out of wine. When it, what state would people have been in? People would have been rather happy, <laughs> at the very least. And then, oh no, Jesus gets it all wrong. What does he do? <laughs> he makes more wine for all these drunken people. <laughs> I mean, what's he doing? <laughs> I mean, has he, has, has he made a mistake? Has he got it wrong? I mean, he, oh, sorry, I, I kind of just think that he was, Jesus was rather happy to get these people, these happy people even happier, I guess. Because he's, and, and anyway, and, and, they, and they got really, really good quality wine after that. So you can guess that they were glugging. It doesn't say whether he made any more after that. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, he does. Yeah, it's party pooping, isn't it? Running out of wine. So Jesus was saying, let the party on, man. Absolutely. And this is just the very first thing that God himself, when he came to the planet to bring revelation, does in terms of miracle. He says, party on. Let's be happy and party on. I mean, my gosh. Anyway. So he who sits in the heavens laughs. This is what God is doing. He's laughing. He's a happy God. He's a foundationally happy God, even when it looks like things are falling around the parties, falling apart around us. And I mean, you guys, you've been exposed to Sharon, haven't you? Teaching on the Song of Solomon. Oh, this Song of Solomon. Oh, it's crazy. It's right there in the middle of the Bible. Look, 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 look. It's right in the middle. 
That's where it comes. It's in the middle of the Bible. And I'm sure it's in the middle of the Bible for a reason. Because it's just this outrageous story about how the king loves his bride. How Jesus, God himself, loves us. And he says this. Right, are you ready? I come to my garden, my sister, my bride, speaking to the church. I gather my myrrh with my spice. I eat my honey with, I eat, sorry, I eat my honeycomb with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. <laughs> right there in the middle. Eat, oh friends, and drink. And he doesn't just stop at that. He says, drink deeply. <laughs> Oh, lovers, I don't think he's talking about alcohol. I think he's talking about joy, isn't he? This is who we are, guys. This is who you are. Lovers, children of God, your identity is not whatever happens to you. And there's no doubt things will come along to you. I mean, one of the, one of the first things that will hit some of you and usually hits some student, is, oh my gosh, what now? Now the school's over. <laughs> you know, I've got, I'm going to go home and, ah, I haven't got Kingsway there to support me. Ah, help, what? Um, you know, that's kind of one of the first things that happens. And uh, that's a kind of natural thing. And life is often sequences sometimes of difficult things that come across, come and hit us. But I'm kind of hoping that you're beginning to let this identity thing s slowly soak into your souls that who you are, in fact, is a blessed one. You're the reason Jesus came to the cross, for the joy. You are his joy. You're in him. Joy belongs to you. It's, in fact, all about happiness. Right? In the midst of all, everything that's going on, God sits in heaven and laughs, and you're sat there with him at his right hand. That's who you are, guys. Joy is foundationally the center. Thank you for listening to the Destiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk